0: So, we've been looking at the book of Matthew. This is the fourth week. We're entering into chapter 2. And this chapter, of course, covers the birth of Yeshua. I want to say a few things at the onset. There are many different opinions for the time of Yeshua's birth and different aspects of Yeshua's birth. And and I've put forth my opinions on those things and teachings before. But the reason for all of the opinions is there's so much... Differing historical data, things like uh, who were the Magi's and were they heathen astrologers or Jewish sages? When did Herod die in the fall or the spring of 4 BC? But these things really aren't that important. They're not really worth contending over. But there's one thing that isn't negotiable he for sure was not born in December. He was born in the Hebrew month of Tishrei during the Feast of Sukkot. And Matthew does not go into the timing, and so we're not going to go into it either. Luke goes into the timing of those things. But why would Matthew put this story into the text of his gospel? Remember, he is writing to Jewish people. And so I see a couple of possibilities that revolve around whether these were Jewish sages from Babylon or were they Gentile sorcerers. If you think about it, if they were Gentile sorcerers, then Matthew may be making the statement that there were uh, three heathen sorcerers and they knew the hour of the visitation. And then he's saying, we on the other hand did not. This this possibility is further pointed to in verses 3 and 4 where Herod had to summon sages, priests, to tell him where Messiah was to be born, so the ruler of the land, the sages, the priests, did not know the time of his visitation. They didn't know the time of his birth. They didn't see or at least associate this star with his birth. And we find that the angel appears to the shepherds of Israel, uh, those Israelites of lowly estate, but the sages, they weren't aware. The priests, they weren't aware, nor is the ruling king aware. And yet here come three sorcerers who are heathen sorcerers, and they're aware. This is something that Yeshua will later address uh, the week that he enters the city. On the week of his death, in Luke chapter 19, it's recorded. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Yeshua, teacher, rebuke your disciples i tell you he replied if they keep quiet the stones will cry out as he approached jerusalem he saw the city he wept over it and said even if even or excuse me if you even you had only known this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes this day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so we see Yeshua also indicts Israel for not recognizing the hour of their visitation. So it's possible that Matthew, remembering the words of Yeshua and, and the fact that most did miss the Messiah, attempts through the story of the Magi to convict Israel of their error. It could be possible if these are Gentile heathens. On the other hand, if these men weren't Gentiles, but they were actually Jewish sages, what then? We'll look at that as well. But we're going to look at the birth of Yeshua today. And so let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, "After after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at the word used here in the Greek for magi, I put it up here for you, you notice it says, the wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers. The word for magi in the Greek is magos, and it can mean many different things from teacher to sorcerer. And in the book of Acts, it, that, that's how it's translated. But I believe that these were... Jewish sages from Babylon. And for a couple of reasons, which I'll cover as we go through the text, some would say they're astrologers. that's okay with me. They could be astrologers and still be sages from Babylon because Jewish people were often involved in astrology. If you go to Israel, you can go to a second century synagogue called Beit Alpha. And what you'll see is a huge mosaic in the floor of astrological signs and symbols. Others say these men were Gentile sorcerers and astrologers. And here's my objection to that. I don't think Gentile sorcerers and astrologers were people who knew about the birth of Messiah. Also, I don't believe that God speaks to people in that way. The other reason I don't believe, uh, uh, that I don't have any faith in the the astrology uh, theory is, is I don't have any faith in astrology. If I thought astrology could could tell you those types of things, then most people would be into astrology. But I don't think it does. And God tells us we're to inquire of him, not the stars. He says, don't inquire of anything but me. So I try to put forth that these men were Bible teachers from Babylon because there were still many Jewish people in Babylon from the time of Daniel And you know, Daniel himself was a magi to the king. He was a wise man to the king. Let's read on in Matthew. It says, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I want you to notice that this is saw his star in the east. While astrologers often associate major events with the appearance of comets and such, I don't think sorcerers, would have been expecting a king of the Jews to be born. But the rabbis were expecting Messiah to be born. In Bethlehem, they knew he would appear with a star because of the prophecy of Balaam in chapter 24. In verse 17 of Numbers, That says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And a star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. We know they associated this with the Messiah because we can read the Aramaic translation. It reads this way. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. King Messiah will come out of Jacob. A redeemer and ruler will rise out of Israel. The Aramaic is the language of Babylon. and Notice that they thought a star would rise and this star would be King Messiah. Listen to what an ancient Midrash says. Our rabbis have a tradition that the week in which Messiah will be born, there will be a bright star in the east, which is the star of Messiah. And so while I personally don't think sorcerers were expecting Messiah, I know that the sages were. And while this doesn't Really, this tradition here doesn't date back that far. I still think that it shows early rabbinic thought. The other thing here is how did the Magi who were in the east, in Babylon, see a star in the east over Jerusalem, which is in the west? <laughs> Figure that one out. Well, the phrase here in the east can also mean rising. I saw a star rising. So the correct understanding here is a star rising. And again, this would take us back to the prophecy in number. A star shall rise out of Jacob. So while most say Gentiles, and there may be some merit to that, Matthew may be pointing to the fact that Israel, who had the Torah, missed Messiah's coming, and Gentiles, who didn't have the Torah, Didn't. But the fact is, I think that these men were sages. And we'll look at some more of that as we go through. The other thing I want you to notice is we have come to worship him. And the Greek word there for worship means to fawn, to crouch, to prostrate oneself, to pay homage, to worship, to adore. You hear people, particularly some even in the messianic circles, that say we're not to worship Yeshua, but only the father. And yet Matthew is quite clear about the fact that these men and others worshiped Yeshua. And you may hear some say, "Well, we're only supposed to pray to the Father. You're not supposed to pray to Yeshua." And they get that in part because of the Lord's prayer, where it says where Yeshua says, "Our Father, who art in heaven." and that because of that, you're really uh, you should only pray to the Father. Well, let me say, I just don't understand that type of thought. And it's because the whole of our faith is bound up in this mysterious, unexplainable relationship between the Father and the Son, Yeshua. On the one hand, we're told that God is one and that we should not worship another. And yet Matthew in no less than 13 places speaks of worshiping Yeshua. So how do you reconcile Yeshua being a man and yet being worshipped. You see, for me, that tells me something. That tells me that there's a relationship here between the Father and Yeshua that I can't quite understand. That their relationship is something that we're really not able to understand. That's hard for us because we think we should be able to understand everything. We're so smart, right? We don't like it when we can't understand something. But I'll tell you something, the Bible is full of things that you can't understand. Let's look at a few things that support what I have to say. Yeshua tells us, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. Yeshua tells us that he can forgive sin. That's something that only God can do. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about it. In verse 3 of chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And if we pick up in verse 6 of the same chapter, it says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of angels, he says, "He makes his angels wins his servants' Flames of fire, but about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And so here's what we're seeing here, that the Hebrews didn't seem to have a problem worshiping Yeshua or was speaking to Yeshua in prayer. If you look at the words of Yeshua, he tells us this. I want to read this one. This is from John. I done told ye about everyday stuff, and you, you don't believe me. Reckon, how are you going to believe if I commence to talking about stuff i done seen in heaven? Because look here. Nobody's ever seen heaven except yours truly, the Son of Man. <laughs> that there is the hillbilly gospel of John. For those of you who don't speak plain English, I'm going to read it again from the Niv. <laughs> I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, the point is, I hate to tell you this, folks, because I don't want to challenge our 21st century thinking too hard or our intellect too hard, but there are things that we can't understand that our minds are just not hardwired to comprehend. And God knows it. And so he speaks to us in ways we can understand. The fact is, you can't wrap your mind around this relationship of the Father and the Son. Now, I want to read a little farther in John. Listen to what he says. This time I'll I'll just read from the nib from now on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him and is not condemned, whoever whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I mean, wrap your head around that, folks. God would send his son into the world to die, so that whoever believes in the Son of God should not perish? Wrap your mind around that for a minute. How can you reconcile that? How how can you not believe that he's the Son of God? Listen to what it goes on to say. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that he has done, has been done through God. Through what, excuse me, that what he has done has been done through God. Listen, there's a mystery here that we just aren't able to grab a hold of. And some people want to tell you that Yeshua is God, and yet we clearly see that he prays to God and asks for help. You see, there's a mystery here that we can't wrap our minds around, but then, folks, there's all kinds of mysteries in the Bible that we really can't wrap our minds around. I mean, if you could understand all things, I mean, if everything was just laid out clear for you, just as plain as day, and you understood all things, what need would you have to trust God? You'd know it all. The point is, you can't fathom God You can't even fathom his creation. So friends, how can you understand the relationship he has with his son, Yeshua? You have to accept by faith that Yeshua and he are one. And if you have seen him, you've seen the father, they are one. I mean, you think about it. Matthew didn't have a problem believing. He wrote it down for us. Paul, he spoke to Yeshua. He had no problem believing. The writer of Hebrews, he had no problem. So what problem do we have? Two things we know absolutely, and that was Yeshua's worship because Scripture is plain about it. Even though Scripture says that's something reserved for God alone. We also know that Yeshua is the mediator of a new covenant. And so that tells us that, yes, we do need to talk to him. We do need to speak to him. That's what a mediator is. He mediates between two sides. And finally, there's one escapable piece of information that most overlook when they say, oh, you shouldn't pray to Yeshua. And that is when you had your born-again experience, if it was anything like me, in my case, When my life was changed completely, it was the name of Jesus that I called on. Not the Father. I said, Jesus, I need your help. And during that night, the help came. The next morning, I was healed, body and mind. So don't tell me that you can't pray to Yeshua. Understand it's a mystery that we can't grasp, but then God's ways are not our ways. And so we trust that he loves us. We trust that he and Yeshua are one. And I speak to Yeshua, and when I do, I'm comforted. And he speaks to me, and when he speaks to me, I'm even more comforted. And so I'm not going to let some religious nut strip me of that. Amen? And don't you let some religious nut strip you of that either. Let's read on in Matthew. I hate religious nuts. (laughs) Had one call me this week. Had to hang up on him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judah, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Now, this is a very loose quote from Scripture. I want to read the the text. It comes from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Notice that Matthew reads a little different. It said, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Micah reads, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. See, they almost are, they say, they don't quite say the same thing. I want to read another very loose translation, this time from the Targum, to give us a little better idea here of what they believed in the first century in what may have been running through um, Matthew's mind. And you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, you who are too small to be numbered among the thousands of the house of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, the Messiah, to exercise dominion over Israel, he whose name was mentioned from before, from the days of creation. They saw this passage about Messianic, uh, was Messianic, and they saw that Messiah was before creation listen to what the jerusalem talmud says about this passage son of judah judean tie your ox and tie your plow for king messiah has been born he asked him from where is he and he answered from the royal fort of bethlehem in judah so i just added these to kind of show you some of the different thought on this passage But I'm going to read on in Matthew now. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go worship him. After After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and they saw the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. Now, I want to look at this for a moment. It says they came to the house, and so we know that this is sometime after Yeshua's birth because they weren't in the sukkah anymore. They weren't in the sukkah any longer. They'd moved to a house. Some people want to tell you that this is a year or so after Yeshua's birth. Well, if that's the case, it's a long time for that star to be in the sky, right? since they followed the start of the house, I think it's within days of his birth. And the reason being, the, the text says, neither the priests nor Herod nor the sages knew of Yeshua's birth. But if we look in Luke's gospel, it tells us that the shepherds' noise did abroad. In other words, they went out and told everybody what happened. And so it's hard to imagine that that much time could have passed without Herod having heard. And notice that it says the Magi were overjoyed. Again, it makes me think these men were sages because why would a Gentile sorcerer be overjoyed that a king in Israel was born? However, if you were a sage from Babylon who was looking for Messiah's coming, I think you would be overjoyed. Amen? Verse 10 says, On coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Something that makes sorcerers a bit hard for me to believe as well is that these sorcerers just gain access to the house. They go into the house. If these men were sorcerers, they would have been thought of as extremely unclean and doubtful that they would have gained entry to the house of a religious man like Joseph. It says they worshipped him. So again, they not only wanted to worship Yeshua, but they did in fact worship Yeshua. The other thing, uh, point that I should make in regard to praying to Yeshua is this. Prayer is conversing with God. Think about this for a minute. For those people who say you shouldn't pray to Yeshua, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. If Yeshua were to walk into the room right now, Let's say he just walked in through the back door. Would none of you talk to him? Huh? Would you, would you not talk to him? You, of course you'd talk to him. Well, what's any different? Because he is here. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always until the end of the age. So let's be, let's be real. Let's not be so religious. Verse 12 says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now it says, from what I've read, Herod is in Jericho at this time, and so they bypassed Jericho on their way home. Again, if these men were sorcerers, you don't really think God would be speaking to them in this way. That's a, hard, that's a reach for me. Verse 13 says, And when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And so these, they're warned of Herod's plan to kill the child. Herod was known As a butcher. At one time he had the whole 70 judges in the Sanhedrin killed. He had his own sons killed. He had his beloved wife killed. He loved her and he had her killed. One of of the Caesars said of Herod after he butchered his sons, he said because he ate kosher, it's better to be a pig in the house of Herod than to be one of his sons. And so with this perceived threat to his kingship, he orders that all the children in Bethlehem are killed. Not only that, he makes sure he's going to get the right one by saying all those two years old and younger. Leaves nothing to chance. Verse 16 says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the, from the Magi. Now, we have spoken before that Yeshua was the prophet like unto Moses, De, from Deuteronomy chapter 18, and here we see that Yeshua is born in, under an edict of death from the ruler of the land, and if we look at Moses' story, we see that, hey, he was too born under an edict of death. And not just Yeshua and Moses, but all the male children were born under this, edict, were under this edict of death. And so Matthew, wanting us to understand that this is the prophet like Moses, he wants us to be sure of these things. And so he draws these parallels for us throughout Yeshua's, uh, throughout his gospel. And just as Moses drew his people out of Egypt, and he was the redeemer of Israel, he wants us to understand that this Yeshua is the Redeemer who will draw his people out of spiritual Egypt. He also quotes Hosea 11 in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, in the time that this is written, everyone knows that this is about Israel. It's about the exodus from Egypt. But here Matthew links the verse with Yeshua because Matthew is trying to tell his readers something is going to happen here. He's telling us that this is the one that would make everything new. His coming into the earth that this was this exodus, the second exodus that they expected. This time not from the land, but from the age though. The coming age was about to dawn and the king had come, and the exodus from the present evil age had begun. And that everything that the Torah was a shadow of, everything that the Torah alluded to was being fulfilled in this Messiah, Yeshua. Preparing us for the words Yeshua would speak later on the sermo, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 17 says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. He uses a direct quote here from the Hebrew. So all the children under two years of age are killed, but Mary and Joseph have gone to Egypt, and then they return shortly after Herod's death. Herod's health deteriorates and he dies, and Joseph and Mary with Yeshua return after his death. And so we'll uh, pick up again next week right here in the book of Matthew.